What's going on, people? I'm your host, Jay Painting. This is the Paint Points Podcast, proudly part of the Tainer Supers family and the SB Nation Podcast Network. As always, you can find my written work over at TainersHoopers.com or you can follow me on Twitter at Jake Painting, J-A-K-E-P-A-Y-N-T-I-N-G. Today is going to be focused on the potential return, price point, skill set, fit, all of that on Timbal's big man, Juancho Hernan Gomez. Joining me to cover all this will be a very very, uh, very special guest. He writes really awesome work over at Dunking with Wolves. He's Jack Borman. What's going on, Jack? I'm doing well, Jake. How are you? Yeah, not bad. Not not bad. Um, how's everything going over there right now with, with isolation and no basketball and, and everything kind of in in the air you know it's been it's been pretty good um you know everybody in my family is doing well and and you know that's just about all i could ask for and and you know this past monday things started to open up here in minnesota so um so that's that's a good sign hopefully and hopefully you know everybody goes about it responsibly and and you know we can we can keep on kind of getting getting a little bit closer to normal life and and hopefully we'll have some some timberwolves basketball to watch here here in about six weeks so yeah, it looks like we're getting closer to NBA basketball, which is good for good for the mental stress, good for something to do, good for the league. So hopefully that all pans out well, and maybe by by mid late July we get to watch some basketball at the latest. Yeah. So today, like I said, we'll we'll go into Juancho Hernan Gomez. I know you've got thoughts on him. I've got thoughts on him. So I'll just start with a bit of bit of background information. Obviously, so he was traded to the to the Minnesota in that fourteen deal with with. Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt, a uh, bunch of other players went out. Robert Covington ended up in in Houston, so he was part of that deal. He's 24 years old, six foot nine, 220 pounds. He played 14 games for Minnesota after the trade deadline, which most of you obviously know. Averaged 29.4 minutes, uh, 12.9 points, 7.3 rebounds, 1.3 assists, a steal, and 0.5 blocks per game. Shot 45.3% from the field, 42% from deep. Shot around uh, five attempts per game, I think, from three. Yep. If if that was expanded out to a full season, all of those numbers would have been career highs. So obviously he hasn't got the minutes or the time with Denver to, to really make his mark yet, but he did play pretty well for, for his usual standard when he did get to Minnesota. He'll be a restricted free agent, which again, most of you probably know that. When free agency does roll around eventually, he'll... Minnesota will have his bird rights. They'll have the first option to match any offer sheet that he signs. So basically, they've got first first dibs on on Hernan Gomez when when free agency does come around. So if they want him and they, they deem the price point suitable, then he probably will come back to Minnesota if if that's what they want. But we're here to kind of discuss whether that will be the right move, I guess. So what are your thoughts on him, Jack? Um, well, my thoughts are just, you know, first off, I think it, it was really encouraging that, you know, he, he saw a huge uptick in his workload uh, once he got traded here to Minnesota. Um, you know, you're talking about a, a 12 uh, minutes per game increase. And, you know, the guy took pretty much twice as many overall shots from the floor, almost twice as many threes. Um, and, you know, and he did get to the line three, three and a half times a game, which I think is encouraging. Um, and, you know, I think that there were some actions that, that, you know, that the Timberwolves were able to run specifically, um, you know, when they ran Wancho off screens and handoff actions. Um, and he was also really, really good, um, in the pick and roll as, um, you know, as the role man, either as a popper or slipper or, 
or, you know, just your standard, you know, pick and roller, um, you know, which I think we're all really, really encouraging. Um, you know, I think that, you know, one thing that stuck out to me kind of when I was, you know, digging into it a little bit is, you know, when I, when I was watching some of these last 14 games, um, you know, just cause I've had all the time in the world and have, and have, and have rewatched some of them, you know, I, I really started to notice, you know, gosh, this, all of his threes are just wide open shots. Um, yeah. which I think is, was huge. Um, and you know, when you get it, when you're out there playing with a point guard, that's as manipulative and as crafty and creative as D'Angelo Russell, when he has a ball screen, you know, it really allows, um, you know, the guy that he's kind of playing a two man game with to, to work his way open, um, which was sweet. And so, you know, 74%, um, of his catch and shoot opportunities were uncontested and that's from synergy. Um, and, and he, you know, shot 43% on him. He had a 65% effective field goal percentage. Um, and, and that put him in the 75th percentile league wide. So, um, so that was, that was really encouraging. And, and from a, from a three point, you know, perspective, I, I think he'll probably come back down to earth a little bit just cause you know, he hasn't had a season shooting, you know, any more than, you know, really like 123 is shooting, you know, higher than, you know, 37%. So, um, you know, I, I hope that that was a byproduct of, of, of the Minnesota system and playing with with a really, really creative lead guard like Russell. Um, and, you know, hopefully that's something that can carry forward if he if he does return. Um, but obviously, you know, defense is a is a whole nother ball game when you're talking about Wancho. So uh, but but I'm sure I'm, I'm sure that I'm sure that we'll get into that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, like you said, I he seems to fit pretty seamlessly next to Russell. Obviously, he only played the one game with Towns, so or maybe two games with Towns, so that we don't really know how well he fit next to Towns. But he seemed to fit very well next to Denzo Russell. He gives them a really good option in pick and in pick and pop game, in pick and roll. Like you said, he slips that ball stream really well. Last night, I, I tweeted about the way he. Minnesota like to run this horns kind of action where a ball screen comes from on both sides of D'Angelo Russell and they'll have, in in most instances, while, while they were together, it was Nas Reed and, and Wancho that have Reed on the left, Wancho on the right. Reed would set the screen and, and Wancho would just come into the screen and slip straight away and dive to the rim. And that seemed to really work well, especially with the way that, that Russell can fire passes out of pick and rolls without kind of... Um, looking at him or or telegraphing telegraphing the pass. So the shooting stroke, really good. Like you said, a lot of open shots. He seems to get himself open really well. Moves to get into line with, with the ball handler so he can, he can make himself available really well. I like that. I think, like you said as well, I don't think he's quite as good as a 42% shooter. I'd be surprised if that didn't regress a little bit, but... Any even slight regression back to you know forty thirty eight percent is still a really good number if he's shooting pretty high, pretty high volume. Um, apart from that, not I, I'm not overly. We'll, we'll stay on the offense for now, but I'm not overly impressed with the rest of his offensive game. I think he's a good he's a good cutter and he slips well, good shooter, but he's pretty he's really bad around the rim. He shot forty nine point five percent at the rim this season. The league average is fifty seven point nine percent, so almost ten percentage points below league average. So that's that's really bad for a guy who's six foot nine, six foot ten. Seems to miss a lot of bunnies and and rushes like a lot of e- easy finishes. 
so gets a bit of tunnel vision when he's going toward the toward the rim. I don't know if that was to do with his playing for a contract, a bit like Malik Beasley was kind of really focused on scoring because they're obviously playing for their their first big contract. But what what else did you see from him offensively that I guess you didn't like? Um, well, the 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 main thing that I had on top of my list was 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 exactly what you just said. Um, I thought he did a great job, like you said, of making himself available. Um, and when he slipped, he'd do a really great job of getting his head turned around or, you know, staying open so that his shoulders were square to, you know, the direction that the pass was going to come from. And, and he had, yeah, and he has great, and he has great hands, um, which helps. And obviously, you know, if your hands aren't up and, you, and you're not able to corral the pass, then, you know, your slip is pretty useless. Um, yeah. and you know, one thing too, that, um, you know, that I, I just kind of grew frustrated was with was that he just kind of expected contact to come a lot of times without going into a body of a defender. And when that... Yeah, he often, he often kind of goes around the defender or tries to double clutch, you know, when they're not even... When the defense isn't even that strong. And I think that throws him off rather than just trying to get that bucket and not worry about the defense as much. Right, because if you go in assuming that you're going to get hit, and you just go in strong, you take it strong, you, you know, keep your shoulders square to the basket, um, you know, then you're going to have no problem finishing, even if the defender doesn't come and, and, and doesn't body up or you don't get fouled or, or what have you. Um, and so that's something that I'd really like to see Wancho work on. Um, and the other thing that, that I think that Wancho needs to work on as well is, is just his passing. You know, I think that sometimes when he got the ball, he just didn't really know what to do with it. If it, if he wasn't open to just shoot the ball right away. And he would, a yeah. lot of times if he'd got the ball kind of above the break or, you know, on, on one side or the other, um, kind of at the, you know, where the, you know, three point line kind of starts to bend into the corner. Um, you know, a lot of times he just get the ball and kind of, you know, just hold it in his hands and kind of move it up and down waiting for, you know, someone to get open or, or some guy to come curl around him on a handoff. And, and, you know, I'd like to, you know, see him be a little bit more aggressive going to the rim. And if he's shying away from contact or he doesn't feel confident finishing, then, you know, trying to get the ball into the middle and, and jump stopping and surveying the floor and, and kind of, you know, seeing what his options are, because when you're flanked by, you know, a Towns, a Russell, a Beasley, and a Kogi even when he's in the corner, um, or Culver, hopefully we get the last 14 games of Jared Culver, we can actually shoot the ball. Um, yeah. and, and, and you get people like that around you, you know, those are all guys that are capable of, of knocking down an open jump shot. Um, but, but just kind of standing there, you know, hoping for help to come, um, you know, isn't a great thing, you know, hope isn't a strategy. Um, and so I, I'd, I'd like to see him be a little bit more decisive with, with what he's doing. Cause when he's within the flow of the offense and they're running a specific action, you know, you can tell that he, he knows exactly what he's supposed to do and, he, and he's good at executing it. But I think when you're going to get guys like Russell and towns, you're going to get guys that are going to go off script a little bit and, and Beasley too, if he's going to, you know, have the ball in the perimeter. And, um, and, you know, I think, you know, the ability to just kind of, you know, play, you know, together as one with, you know, new guys is, is tough to do if you, if you've got free flow and offense and you've only played together for 15 games. So, you know, if he does come back, I'd hope that, you know, he can kind of understand their tendencies a little bit better and, and kind of become a better cutter because his cutting numbers, you know, weren't very good this year. Um, and, you know, or even just making himself available in different spots in the floor where he can then, you know, make an extra pass or two. 
Um, so, so those are things that, that I'd look for Wancho to, to get better at on the offensive end of the floor, because, you know, he, he only had 1.3 assists per game, which like, sure, that's a career high, great pat on the back for Wancho. But, um, but you know, for a guy who's playing 30 minutes a game, um, with shooters all around him, that number should be, that number should be closer to, to three or three and a half or four. So. I think that's a real, I think the, the, it's a really good point. The, how, little he he got into drive and kick action like you said he when he wasn't coming off screens or, or finding himself open for a catch and shoot and he just got the ball and the the play's breaking down and he doesn't exactly know he doesn't have it you know that planned action already for him and he just has to create a little bit instead he wouldn't kick the ball off quick enough like if you're not going to if you're not going to drive and kick yourself or try and get past your man or try and do something that's going to kickstart the offense a little bit, get it to someone who can. Or if you think you can do it yourself, I think he needed to go get past his man or at least try and beat his man, collapse the defense, and then kick it out to those shooters. Like you said, you've got so many good shooters around, especially when Towns is there, if he if he ever does play with Towns again. it um, drive, and, drive and kick it will be it was such an important action for this team. It's such a simple concept and it's a, such a good way to get the ball in rotation to get the defense scrambling and I really didn't like the way he kind of like you said he just pounded the ball or hesitate for too long and, and didn't kind of get into that drive and kick action quick enough yeah and you know I think that you know like I said I think part of it has to do with the fact that he only played 14 games and it's probably pretty tough yeah, to... it's, it's it's hard to it's hard to really um you know put a black mark against his name for that when no one knew what they were doing together. They didn't get a training camp. They didn't get any time to gel together except for maybe a, a you know, five day all-star break. So it's, it, it is quite harsh on him, but that's, you know, well, yeah, we're the Bahamas when you need it. Um, but, <laughs> but um, you know, the other thing too, I mean, just thinking about a basic drive and kick. I mean, I can go to the gym with buddies or, you know, just go hop in and run fives at school with, you know, people I don't know. And everybody's driving and kicking. Like it's one of the most basic things that you don't even necessarily need to know where people are going to be. If you're able you to need a scheme for it. Yeah. If you're just able to keep your head up while you're dribbling and know where kind of guys are on the floor, come to a jump stop or kind of jump and then throw that over the head pass. Like a lot of wings or fours or centers do if they, if they drive the ball to the, to the cop, um, you know, it's a basic thing that, you know, I, I'd hope that, you know, we're just watching film is probably, probably the easiest fix for that. Um, but, you know, especially if you're playing around, you know, a, a megastar and cat and a, you know, an all-star and D'Lo, um, you know, those are guys where, you know, the defense is going to, you know, be stretched out on them. And if, and if you get in there, you know, you'll be able to have guys like a Kogi and Beasley, who are two very good cutters cutting to the rim. Um, and even Culver, you know, I think Culver did a good job of really cutting and flashing to the rim the last, you know, 15 games of the year. Um so, you know, even if it's a, you know, you jump stop at the free throw line, you can kind of throw a side bounce pass to the block to a cutter. Um, you know, that'd be awesome. And I, and I think it's it's really just the passing and, you know, feeling safe to take three or four hard dribbles into the paint and, and go into a, go into someone's body or jump stop and pump fake. I mean, it's just simple fundamental stuff that I think kind of goes by the wayside sometimes in the NBA game just because the speed of it. And, and especially for a guy who's not very athletic, you know, I think a great way that you can give yourself an advantage, especially against, um, 
you know, undisciplined defenders is just to be able to go back to the basics, jump stop in the lane, pump fake, survey your options, keep your elbows out. Like it sounds dumb. You know, it sounds like sixth grade basketball analysis, but, um, but it's stuff that really does work. So, um, so those are just simple things that, you know, I'm confident that you could fix just because, you know, it's something that you or I could do, but, um, but yeah, you know, I, all, all we can do is hope. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And overall, I think if he can shoot as well as he did, ultimately those concerns are washed away a little bit because this team needs good shooters. Good shooters around towns is what we've been crying out for for, for seasons. So if he can hit 40% of his threes at a decent volume, he's always going to have value. But I don't think he's ultimately the perfect fit next to Towns unless he can do a bunch of other things as well. And one of those things is obviously play defense, which is a good segue into that. Um, uh, pretty much, I think he's, he's a, from, like, like you said, I've been watching the last 14 games, trying to, especially with a with an eye for Wancho, because I knew we were doing this coming up, and he's, pretty, he's a disaster on defense. It sounds harsh, I guess, but from what I've seen, he's not anything close to the guy you want partnering towns. He's got pretty slow feet, which kills him against mobile kind of fours or, or big wings. That game against... I watched the game against Boston last night, oh. and they they had him guarding Tatum, Haywood, or Brown, you know, and all of the wings kind of rotating between those three. And Tatum, like, he guarded Tatum probably 60% of the time he was on the court, and he just got obliterated every single time, which is obviously a really tough matchup for any four but that's the kind of guys that you, you're going to face if you're a four in the NBA, especially with the way the league's going. The way Minnesota want to play is the same with those kind of three wings, one big, one guard. And like he just get, he's going to get destroyed by those kind of guys every time. And then against the teams that are bigger, your, your Philadelphia, your Lakers, he's going to get killed on the other end of the spectrum where he can't, he can't guard you know, six foot eleven, two hundred and fifty pound dudes because he's not big enough. His arms aren't long enough. His feet are still very slow. His his size just hurts him either way. He's in that really bad, I think, tweener kind of size, and he's just his instincts and stuff don't aren't good enough to make up for it. Yeah, and I think you know my my big thing is, you know, one you're at a disadvantage if you're not in the same you know the same plane athletically as you know your your average four you know your average four is yeah. a guy that's about six six eight six nine six ten who you know maybe maybe a guy more like vanderbilt who's who's more like that who's who's really agile um you know horizontally and um and can stick with guys like if if you're not there athletically you sure as hell better you know be built like a brick house from your waist up and you better have really strong yeah, or legs. Just have, or just have out the world, or just have out of the world defensive IQ. Yeah, and and so I, I and that kind of led in the next thing I was going to say is, you damn well better make sure that nobody's going to go through you. And the other yeah. thing you can do to help is if you're not playing on the ball, you're a pass or two passes away. You can make sure that you're not too far up the line, meaning that you're not too far away from the basket. And, um, and kind of out towards the three point line so that a guy can't just catch and rip and blow by you for a layup. Um, your positioning has to be great. You have to know where you have, you have to know where to be at all times. 
and and you got to make sure that guys that are smaller than you, like a Tatum, theoretically. I mean, obviously that's it's kind of a you know a, a, a really a really tough example there. But you know, if you're guarding a guy that's like six six, you switch on to a guy that's six six, and the guy's just powering through you, but he's also faster than you. Then you've got no shot. Yeah. Um. And then yeah. You know if if you're also on the floor with a guy like D'Angelo Russell, you know, who people are also going to go through, um, and then you've got problems. Um, cause it just comes down to, I mean, how many negative defenders can you have out there? I think you can really only have one, maybe two negative defenders out there. If you want to be able to stay afloat, you know, defensively and hold on to any leads you have. Um, and that's just not something that I, that I've seen from Lancho in the sense that, you know, He's not always in, a, in the best position. Um, you know, he he can get killed on the offensive glass. Um, and, and, you know, guys just blow by him. I mean, even guys that are supposed to be his size, he gets blown by him. And like you said, if, if there's a guy that's 6'10", 250, like if Dwight Howard right in that range is is playing out there and they, they, they have Dwight and JaVale out there for some reason or they have – no or, or there's a team in the playoffs. No. Like if you, if you're golden state in golden state, you know, you play golden state in a four or five matchup next year by the grace of God, you, you're the five seed and you end up playing golden state or a three, <laughs> six or whatever you have. And, you know, they have Marquise Chris out there with James Wiseman. Um, you know, cause they're yeah. going to, they're going to be able to play. Even, two a, bigs even next a dream year. on Grant. Yeah, I mean, Even those the Draymond are Draymond Green in that situation is way too strong for one. Yeah, going to the hole. I mean, Draymond just puts his head down. He's just a 260 pound bowling ball that'll just go right through you. And he's nimble enough and, and a good enough finisher where, where he has no problem doing that. Um, so, you know, the fact that he really can't guard anybody smaller than him and he can't guard anybody his size or bigger than him, um, you know, if he comes back, his role's really got to just be you know, what mine was in sixth grade is you can't guard anybody. Just go stand in the corner, wait for somebody to pass you the ball and shoot. Um, so, yeah. you know, it, it's tough. And, and, and I, and I wish that, that Wancho was, was better. Cause you know, he's, he's fun and, and it's fun to just see those, you know, rainbow threes that he has just drop through the net. But, um, but you know, at the end of the day, if you can't lace them up and go get in somebody's jock and, and stop them from scoring, I mean, you just can't be on the floor. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, it sounds yeah, blunt, but it's, it's just where it is considering the position that the Timberwolves are in, in terms of having probably a top six pick, another pick at 16 that they'd be able to use on somebody who can, you know, do those things. And, and, you know, potentially having, you know, a, a mid-level exception, you know, close to $9 million to spend in free agency. So, um, so, I mean, yeah, it's 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 like you said, it's just kind of a nightmare on defense. Yeah, and it's just with this team being so disastrous defensively, it's almost the worst situation you could envision for a guy like Lancho because like you said, he's got really tantalizing skills on offense mainly, and they fit theoretically they fit next to Towns really well offensively because Towns can do so much to cover the things that that Wancho can't do offensively, and then he can just bang triples all night. But you just you can't afford to have any more, you know, sieves defensively next to Towns and Russell, especially in the pick and roll. Obviously, Russell's going to be at the point of attack a lot of the time in pick and roll, 
and if they're if they're running pick and rolls, one four pick and rolls with with Wancho as the big defender, he can't guard between two players. He doesn't block shots at the rim. He he can't kind of you know what I mean, like stay between two and stop the big, but also Terrell the point guard and Russell's going to get knocked off most of the time or or play a bit of lazy D and. When Russell is already putting you at a disadvantage, the last thing you need is a guy like Wancho who can't make up for any of that disadvantage at all on his end. Yeah. So I just and, think that. And, and I like that point because, you know, we can sit here and talk about, you know, when the lights come on and, and you know, you're playing an isolation game and, and Wancho's the guy that gets singled out. Right? I mean, it's easy for us to sit here and say, you know, well, yeah, Wancho's probably going to get scored on. But. You know, I, I like to think about it in the context of lineups, like you're talking about. Like, you, yeah, he, he fits with them on offense, but if you're going to have Wancho out there on offense with Cat and D'Lo, you know, who are two guys that you probably need to throw in there, you know, so you can survive defensively? Um, so you need to start thinking about line, lineup combinations where Wancho's, you know, abilities and, and, and you know, all, all the great things that he does as a shooter on offense can be kind of highlighted and uplifted while also mitigating the issues that he has on defense. And, and like you were saying, you know, a one, four pick and roll is one of the most common actions in the entire NBA. And, and if he's getting thrown into that, you know, that's tough because then, then there's no real way to mitigate that. I mean, sure. You can have towns kind of creep over if, you know, there's a team playing a more traditional five, that's not going to be afraid to step or that's going to be afraid to step into the corner and shoot. Um, but, but, you know, I think that, you know, if, if you want to play Wancho, he's not going to start next year. He, there's no way. I don't, I don't think yet. there's any conceivable way that you can play Wancho next to Cat and D'Lo and Beasley. Because then you're looking at two and a half negative defenders. Because who knows? I mean, Towns, I think, isn't really as much of a negative defender as, as everybody thinks he is. Um and, and Be- but still a negative. Yeah, but still a and, negative, and, but not. But yeah, he's not. He he's get, not he like a D'Angelo Russell. I don't. I would not classify Towns as a liability on defense. Um, yeah. And I'd classify Russell as a liability on defense. And I think Beasley will be better too. Yeah. Um, and, and those guys just like to compete too, um, which helps. And so I, I think when you start thinking about lineups with Wancho, you know, you probably need Culver out there, just because Culver's got length and the agility laterally to stay with guys to funnel guys into, you know, into post bigs, um, you know, down in the lane and down in the block, um, you know, and then you need another center, but like Nas Reed, Nas Reed and Wancho, that, yeah. that would just be the bloodiest blood in the water for any, <laughs> any offensive players you could probably come up with. Um, so it's and just, you can still survive that a little bit if they're playing 15, 20 minutes a game, but you can't survive it if if you're banking on one show to play 30, 35 minutes a game, yeah. you need and you need someone next to Towns who can really cover some of his holes. And what's really tough is that, obviously, you know, I, would Wancho have played 29 minutes a game if Towns was there for the final 13 games? Probably not. Um, but because that wasn't yeah. the case, um, you know, it's it's kind of tough to kind of to extrapolate that, you know, sample size that we have and say, okay, how, how is that going to work with Towns? Um, but you know, I think, you know, I think kind of what we're getting at is just the writing is kind of there on the wall. Um, you know, I don't really, in terms of free agency, I I do not see Wancho getting anything more than three for 15. I just don't see it. 
I think that's that's exactly the same number as I had down as well. That's the number I'd be pretty comfortable with. Three for fifteen, part half half of the MLE, and, and, and you'd, go ahead. You'd be pretty happy with that. You'd be pretty happy with the three for fifteen. I was going to say. I think then you can put him on the bench, and you don't feel like you're overpaying a bench player. You can trade him eventually if you know if it comes to that, and not feel like he's he's an anchoring contract that you can't get rid of. He's, if he does grow defensively, or he does become a really good shooter or a more well-rounded offensive player, then he's a, he's really good value at $5 million a year. I don't think the market will be super big for him. It's pretty depressed in general, I think, with all that's going on with the coronavirus and, and whatnot. So I think 315, I think that's... I think you might even they might even start a little bit lower than that. Maybe you know lowball him, I oh. guess, a little bit, nego- yes. negotiate with him. But three for, I would be pretty annoyed if they... They went anything over, you know, maybe three for eighteen. Yeah, I, I at the if if I'm if I'm sitting in Gers's chair, uh, I'm not paying Juancho Hernan Gomez more than five million dollars a year. I probably wouldn't pay more than four million dollars a year personally. Um, yeah, just yeah. because, especially with with the with some of the players I have on the roster, like I think Vanderbilt could probably step into that role. He's not going to shoot threes, but if he could step into ten to fifteen minutes off the bench, and he'd give you better defense, better rebounding, a better passer. And there's still spacing, a lot more spacing and shooting on the roster now, you know, with with Beasley and whatnot. So if you if it comes down to it, and you can't replace him in free agency. I think Vanderbilt at, you know, two million a year is better than one show anything over five. I completely agree with that, and I think too that, you know, what do you need out of a guy who's going to be, you know, your bench for alongside Nas Reed? you're not going to need him to score because Nas Reed is going to be out there to try and be aggressive on offense. Um, and, yeah. and if he's also out there with, you know, with McLaughlin, you know, McLaughlin, you know, proved the, the end of this year that, you know, he's more than capable of saying, you know what, F this, I'm going to the basket and just putting his head down and going and finishing strong, you know, dunking on Clint Capella, um, you know, kicking out. I mean, was, he, I think he finished something with like, I think he shot North of 40% from three, um, you know, and then, and then, you, you know, you could also have, um, you know, a rookie off the bench too, that that's drafted pretty highly. That's able to contribute right away offensively. You know, maybe you have, well, yeah, they've, they've got three, they've got three picks. So there's always the way, you know, that's an always, and uh, not an easy, but a, a pretty comfortable way to replace his value or to replace his position is you've got three draft picks. You can trade, you can p- use the pick. There's so many options that don't involve overpaying Lancho. Yeah. And I think, you know, Gerst really values value and, and he understands value. Um, and I think that's why there's yeah. such a heavy emphasis on, you know, using the Iowa team. Um, you know, Nas Reed, Jordan McLaughlin, Jalen Noel, Keelan Martin, um, Jared Vanderbilt, like all those guys spent time down there and are playing in the same system, so they'll feel comfortable when they come up. Um, and, and you know, the other thing I was talking, or I, I'd, I'd been thinking about, was I saw Derek Murray, um, who does some awesome draft stuff. I think for Brabcock Hoops on Twitter, um, yeah, mentioned you know how how let's start thinking about players not as eighty-two game players, but as sixteen game players. Like, is this person just going to get isolated and destroyed in, in like a one-four pick and roll? Or, you know, yeah. in the playoffs when the game slows down and there's a lot more isolation and just 
let's keep, you know, running ball screens and having the defense switch until we get a matchup we like, you know, that's still going to happen with when a bench guy's out there. Like, sure, is Wancho going to be out there in defense in the fourth quarter in a playoff series? Probably not. But, um, but you know, that can still happen in, in, the, in the first, second, and third quarters when, you know, he's going to be out there. And I, and I just don't see Wancho as, as a guy who's going to say, oh, that could end up being like a sneaky good, you know, weapon or, or, you know, asset that the wolves have. Um, I just don't see that. I, I only see him, you know, just getting attacked and, you know, we're at the point now where, you know, the wolves have to start thinking about the playoffs. So we can't just say, all right, we need just to take this position from a four out of 10 to a five out of 10 or a three out of 10 to a six out of 10. Yeah. We have to start thinking, you know, what is that going to look like in the playoffs? And I would much rather have Jared Vanderbilt go out there and, and just go hustle his ass off and play defense and and just fly around and try and you know rebound the ball and play defense then you know have a guy who's going to be a huge liability on defense and you know and and make you know two or three threes in a game um so yeah i just i don't think there's a there's a scenario where he ever looks good defensively on this team there's just so many holes already on this team especially the beads towns is obviously not great russell and beasley both both give up a lot in in point of attack, pitching and roll coverage, Nas Reed. Although every, I've I've come around to Nas a defense a little bit more now that I've rewatched. I was really yeah, low on I have I think to. He's actually a bit better than I thought he was, but he's still not a guy who's going to cover Wancho's weaknesses and make him look good. Yeah, and the and, and the, that's what it, that's what Minnesota need. Yeah, and I was just going to say that too. I mean, you have two offensively minded centers in Towns and Nas Reed. You don't have a third guy that's going to play. Like, sure, you could have James Johnson be a small ball five because he's just a junkyard dog who's going to go in and hang and bang and, and fight dudes in the post for rebounds and on defense, which is awesome. But he's not a true five. Um, and, and so I think that, that you're four, and, and, and Gers has said this too in the media. You know, He says that you know if, if a guy's going to play the four, he's got to be defensive versatile on defense to a point where he can slide down and switch and guard, you know, we're two or three on a possession if he needs to, but then also be able to guard a four or a five, you know, on any given yeah. possession. And and that's just not Wancho. Like, yeah, he has the shooting aspect of it, but, you know, I really don't think that it's essential for the Wolves to have five shooters on the floor at one time. Cause I think that, you know, there's so many different lineup combinations that they can put together that have four shooters out there at any given time. Just think about it. I mean, the only real guys who can't shoot on the roster, I mean, I guess you could say Culver, but then after Culver and, and Akogi, I guess, like, who are the other two guys that are going to be out there that can't shoot or that can't make a yeah, wide exactly. open jump this, shot? This team, so, they've got the stigma, this team, that they they can't shoot. And I think, obviously, we know that, that the whole team got overhauled, but that shooting problem that was such a big problem to start the season is pretty much eliminated fully. Like, like you said... Culver and Akogi, it's another can of worms whether they can can mesh together on the team and they can play in lineups together. But outside of them, it's pretty much all players who can at least shoot at league average or higher. So I don't think keeping Wancho because he can shoot for 40% from three... Makes sense. Is But, yeah, it makes sense, especially when he can't defend any position. Not like he can't defend up and, and guard small fives. He can't defend down and guard wings in switches. And if this team wants to switch everything like they were at the end of the season, I'm not sure if that's what they'll do when Towns is back. Like, they didn't really switch everything when Towns was healthy originally. 
But if they want to switch everything like they did in their, those last 10 games, they're um they're not going to be able to do it with Juancho. He just got blitzed on screens. Even the, the Charlotte game I was watching the other night, Devontae Graham just hunted him all, all game. And they, he was like, if you want to switch this screen and put Juancho on me, I'm going to take three steps back. I'm going to drive to the rim and destroy him or I'm going to take three steps back and get him on his toes and I'm going to hit the three in his face. And that you can't have that in your starting lineup and you can barely have it in your bench. Yeah, and it's in that game specifically, I vividly remember watching it. It was just so disappointing that he kept getting continually killed and, and Rhino just left him out there, um, which which was tough. Um, and, and, you know, yeah. it kind of brings me to the, the other thing I was going to say too is it, so it sounds like the Timberwolves are going to play the, play six games. Um is what it what it sounds yeah, like as seven, of, get the get it to seventy games as, as of today as of Friday, um, yeah. and that's obviously not not official or not confirmed. But you know, in those last six games, I mean, if Jared Vanderbilt is not playing in those last six games, I'm gonna be out of my, I'm gonna be beside myself. Um, I, I think they yeah. really owe it to, them, to themselves to kind of see what he can do. Um, the competition level might not be at the same level because who knows what players are going to say, sure, I'll go down to Disney World and play for two weeks and then go home. Um, and we just have no idea. That's why I think it, it's just going to be so vital to try and throw guys out there like um, as kind of a mini tryout for next year's team. And, um, and you know, I, I think that, you know, the more that they think long and hard about it, um, you know, Gerst is not a guy who's going to stick by his comments saying, you know, he hopes that Wancho is here for the rest of his career. Like, do you really think that that Gerson Rosas really wholeheartedly believes that he wants Wancho Aaron Gomez to be a Timberwolf for the rest no, of his career? No, I, think, I don't I think, think he really cares. I think he's the kind. I, no, he, I think Rosas is one of the guys who he's really supportive of his players while they're here, but he's not scared to cut ties with them as soon as he sees an option to make this team better, which, which I appreciate because... This team needs to get better, and if I don't think he's, you know, naive enough to think that Wancho is this perfect starting four. Yeah, and and the players respond to that. Um, you know, you know, what did we see the first game in at Target Center after the trade deadline? Who was there sitting in Rosas's box? Yeah, it was Robert yeah, Covington. We spoke about that last week. That's, yeah, and that's such a big thing, which is awesome. And the fact that you know, Gers had nothing but glowingly positive things to say about Robert Covington and, and obviously it had cultivated, a, you know, a really great relationship with Rocco and, and Rocco understood what, what Gers was all about. And I think that, um, and, and that's why he came back. And, you know, obviously there's some players who are going to say, you know, screw this guy, you know, this guy traded me. I wanted to be here, but you know, I don't think you can argue about getting traded to Houston and go playing in the playoffs, but that's a different, that's a different subject. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I think that, like you said, he's the guy that's going to try and, you know, be sunshine and roses behind the scenes and, but also keep it real with guys and say, you know, look at what I just did in February. I, I mean, I was looking at the Temple of Synergy profile for individual players and like more than half the guys in that list in parentheses next to it just said not on the team anymore. Um, you know, yeah. and he's ruthless. <laughs> he's not afraid to, to move guys around and, and especially if you if you've got the fourth pick and a, a certain player from from USC that that we won't talk about right now um, is still there on the board, you know <laughs> I would be foaming at the mouth to go to go up and take on Yekka Kongwu. But um, but I, I think it, I think it's just abundantly clear that you know Wancho is not the guy um, or not the guy for any team really. One that's going to be a playoff team. 
and you know wants to have playable guys out there and two which is you know probably the case for the wolves when you have two offensively minded fives i think it's tough to have an offensively minded four and an offensively minded five um you know i can't really think of a, a team that's been really good and that's won that in, in recent years that has had that i mean the spurs had you know boris diaw and duncan the warriors had you know draymond and bogut um you know, and Draymond or Katie and Draymond too. And, and I mean, and even Cleveland, like Kevin Love was offensive minded, but then you had Tristan Thompson behind him. So like all these teams that do really well and are successful in the playoffs, nobody has two offensively minded bigs. Um, and so yeah. I think that that's just something that the Wolves are kind of going to come to realize. And like when the rubber meets the road, he's just not a great fit. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like he, it was, it was a good experiment and I'm glad that he really played well and thrived, but you know, I, I, I'm just terrified that that this mid-level exception is going to be some nonsensical like three for 21 or three for 24 or something like that, because they're going to be afraid that some other team's going to want to grab him. I just I don't see a playoff team wanting to grab him, especially in, in this economy, in this climate um, with with coronavirus. And if um, they do, it's going to be for cheap as well. Right. Because no, no one else has gonna pay has cap space. Here. Um, yeah. you know, I could see him going to Charlotte and playing with his brother or, you know, the Knicks, the Knicks can never, the Knicks always need another power forward. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I just don't think that his future should be in Minnesota. Um, and I think there's, and, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see what, what Gerson has in mind for that. Um, whether it be in with the first pick, um, you know, the Timberwolves own pick this year or the 16th pick or, or the 33rd pick, like all three of those places, you'll be able to get a guy who is either better than Wancho right now, or he just has much, you know, as much better value. Um, I think in a, in, yeah. a, in a draft like this in a free agency class like this, where, you know, it's not as, it's not as front loaded. Um, it's a lot more back loaded. I think being able to, to make smart. Yeah. There's a lot of depth. There's a lot of depth. In the yeah. Being able to, to get good value, I think is going to be important. Like is everybody's board for free agency and for the draft going to be wildly different? Yeah, of course it will be. And I think trying to, you know, adjust for that and create your own board to a point where, you know, you have a couple guys circled at certain spots um, or certain days of free agency where you say, okay, if this guy's still around, I've got to, this is where, this is what I've got to address. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, with a guy like Sasha Gupta and, you know, in a great, you know, international scouting team, um, you know, uh, the Wolves assistant GM, I don't want to butcher his name, but I think it's, it's Gianlu- Gianluca Pasciucchi, I think is his name. Um, and, yeah, and Rosas, yeah, all, those, all those guys have backgrounds in international scouting or in, you know, trades and in analytics like Sasha does. Um, so, you know, they've got, they've got all the ammo they need there to, you know, to really make the best informed decisions. Um, and I just, I just don't think that, that Wancho would be, you know, something that they would do. And I'd hope that they don't kind of, you know, think with their heart and not their head, um, when it comes to that. And, and, you know, I don't think that, that, that Gerson has considering, you know, everything that happened at the trade deadline. So, um, yeah. Like if they were to replace, uh, if they were to replace Wancho, um, personally, like how would you do it or what would your thought process be in terms of, 
these are the things that I am looking for in a four rather than what Gers might think. But, but like if you were, if you were sitting in his chair and you were tasked with how do I replace Wancho or, or how do I upgrade Wancho while also getting a guy at great value? How, how would you address that? Yeah. Uh, I think, I think there's, there's two parts to look at it. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, First, I think is whether you're going to try and trade for this player, or whether you're going to try and pick them up with the with the mid level, or pick them up in the draft. If you're going to try and trade for a guy with a with a big name, a bigger name like you know an Aaron Gordon or or someone like that who who brings a bit of what Wancho has, but is, is better on D and and more dynamic offensively, then I think obviously you you're going to give up probably, you know, Culver or Kogi and a pick and, and maybe James Johnson. So you're going to gut your roster a little bit more, but then you're going to get a player who can do a bit of everything and who slots straight into that starting role. And then I think if you're going to, which I think is less likely, I know Rosas will definitely swing for the fences as much as he can. He's made that abundantly clear from day dot that he's not scared about, you know, going all out for this team and he wants to build a team that can really compete. Which I love but, because I don't think that Minnesota yeah, is, yeah. is the top of a place in free agency where, you know, a guy's just going to come and love it. I think that, like, it's part of the reason why D'Lo left. Like, if you could go get the bag and live in San Francisco, I mean, hell, I'd, I'd much rather go do that. And, I've, and I love Minnesota. Yeah. I've lived in Minnesota, you know, most of my life. Um, and, and, but I think it's important that then once D'Lo gets in the building, you know, what did he just say with, with Ethan Kasson on, on the, on the all staff, you know, meeting the other yesterday or two days ago, he said, you know, from the moment I stepped off the plane here, this felt like home and I've never been treated better than I've been treated here in Minnesota. And I think it, it takes things like that happening for, you know, people to want to come here from free agency. But I think it's smart. Like you were saying that, you know, he realizes that, you know, I'm not going to go sign a Kevin Love or like, you know, a big name power forward in free agency that's going to want to come play in Minnesota. That's uh, just not going to happen. Yeah, but anyways, you were saying you, you were you were saying. Um. Yeah. So I think I think there's that option where you where you go out and you try and trade for a big name, a power forward, or another win, or even a, a small forward, I guess, that can slide up to the power forward. I think it's probably more unlikely that he gets that done just because of the climate they're wearing at the moment. Minnesota doesn't have they have assets, but I don't think anyone's clamoring for the chance to you know get James Johnson and and the sixth pick in in one of the worst drafts of the decade. But there's definitely still value there. But I think more likely is you you go and get a guy with the MLE, or you go and get a guy in the draft, and you and you just try and kind of pick and choose skill sets that you need. And I think the main one would be. Defense, obviously, like we said, they need defenders. They need guys who can still shoot enough to, to keep defenses honest because you don't want a guy, you don't want to trot out lineups that, that do have Culver, a Kogi, and another non-shooter in it because then you've just, you, you've no chance without any spacing at all. But I think if you can get a guy who can shoot a little bit, it doesn't have to be a star. Um, I can't think of a name off the top of my head, but someone who can shoot at league average play good enough defense to survive, I think that's the guy you go and spend $8 million a year on rather than the, the four or the five that we've been talking about with Wancho. And then in the draft, there's not a lot of power forwards in the draft, I don't think. I think there's I think there's wings that could play as a small ball four, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's the kind of thing that Rosas was looking for. I 
as people know who listen to this podcast, I love Devin Vassell. I don't think he's a power forward, but it wouldn't surprise me at all it, if Minnesota got him at, at six and tried to play him at the four. Yeah. Or just play him in that wing that wing bunch. Or a guy like Isaac Okora, I think, could do the same thing. Both really, really good team defenders, good individual defenders too. Okoro is I was watching him again again <laughs> over the last week and he's just he's such a good He's fun. Um on ball def- defensive player. He he can't shoot at all. Which kind of hurts the you know league average shooter who can play defense, but but you talk about guys that just want to go get up in some dude's face and just get physical yeah. and defend defend him like there's he's, no tomorrow. I'd, he's got a lot of Josh he's got a lot of Josh Atogi about him, but at six foot seven and two hundred and thirty pounds, he's just a beast. He was gonna he's gonna be a really good defensive. Player. I yeah, I think he's gonna be he's gonna be like Marcus Smart. I think is if you put a gun to my head and said you know who would you compare him to I'd, I'd say a bigger bulkier Marcus Smart who's not a good not as good of a yeah. shooter but is a better athlete um yeah and a really good driver and scorer around the rim too I think that gets overlooked with him because he can't shoot everyone thinks he's just this complete minus on offense but he can really get to the ring finish with both hands and, and he's good and he's got a sneaky quick first step too and he's not afraid to bang out on somebody yeah. either which is I mean there are yeah. there are plenty of dunks he had at Auburn this year where you know I think you tweeted out one earlier today um, where he had had Neesmith guarding him and he just exploded at the rim and the whole arena just went nuts. Um, But yeah, Yeah. like I'm sitting here thinking too about free agency. Like I think that you could get really good value. Like Paul Reed, I think from DePaul is another name to keep an eye on. I think he'd probably be around at 33. Who's a crazy versatile defender. I think he's probably one of the most slept on guys in the draft, but um, you know, you could have, you know, Precious Achua at 16 is a guy who might not be able to yeah. do it right away, but it could definitely, I think he's got boatloads of potential on defense, especially. Um, and, and then obviously Akongwu is, is the guy who's at the top of my board for the Wolves from a Wolves perspective. But, you know, if, yeah, if, I've just, I've just finished. I, um, I just, I just, which was awesome. My, go, go my, read that. That, that was an A plus article yes. that, that you put out today. I, that, and that I, was a lot of fun. I really like Akongwu. I really like him. I don't think they'll draft him just because he's just not the, the archetype that Rosa seems to be looking for. But he's for exactly that. what they need. <laughs> Uh, no, he's exactly what they need. He'd he'd be perfect in that four role. And if you get him, you get him in the draft. You still have to pay him around seven to nine million dollars. He's a year worth it. Top five pick. But you get him locked down on that rookie scale deal, and you get full control of him for at least the next six years, probably. Yeah. So if and I think you they, use the word god. He'd be a godsend for Minnesota, and I thought that that was a perfect, a a perfect encapsulation of it. Um, of a perfect way to describe that. Um, but, you know, I'm sitting here thinking about guys who are going to be free agents next year that, you know, we could get with the MLE. You know, I don't know off the top of my head how much cap space we're going to have. Um, you know, obviously, because, you know, we'll get whatever the number is, 18 million or 19 million when, you know, Evan Turner's off the books. Um, but, but you know, that that's probably just kind of getting you closer to even rather than, you know, putting you back in the back in the green. Um, but I, I look at guys like, like a Jamichael Green from the Clippers is a guy who's a versatile defender, who's yeah. big, who can knock down a three, who's not afraid to, you know, step out on the perimeter and, and guard somebody. That's one that I think would be awesome. Jeremy Grant. I think, Jeremy Grant uh, would be a really good yep, pickup. Yep. Jeremy Grant he, trying to, 
trying to, and I, I wrote about, I wrote about him about how he would be, you know, a, a great fit probably a month or two ago Yeah. Um, about how I'd be all in on that. And I don't think that, you know, I don't think that Denver has used him the right way. His numbers have gone down significantly since, since being in Denver fr- compared to his time, excuse me, as a starter in Oklahoma city. So that's a guy you might be able to get, um, you know, for pennies on the dollar, maybe you have to give up 16, but I'd give up 16 to get Jeremy Grant. Um, and then, you know, I look at another guy who I I think just based on what you like, I think that you'd be all over this guy, too. And and that guy's Harry Giles from the yeah, Kings. Yeah, I'm a big fan of I Harry Giles. He can't I, really shoot, but he, he has enough range where I think he definitely develop a three-point shot. And he's been wo- which is woefully cr- underutilized at Sacramento. And he's a under, which unrestricted is, free and, agent as well, so... And it's crazy too. He's had double ACL surgery. He's still crazy agile for a guy that has had double ACL surgery laterally and, and can really get up and, and block shots and, and kind of wreak havoc defensively, um, which would be great. And another guy who, who really coming into his time here, I thought was going to be a lot better, but wasn't was Noah Vonley. I thought that Noah Vonley really showed flashes in, in, in New York last year of, you know, a guy who's a versatile defender who could, get out on the perimeter. He was always the person that the Bucks put on Giannis and he played very well against Giannis on defense. Yeah. Um, last season. So I, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to trying to bring him back in, in favor of, instead of Wancho, if, if we actually, you know, let him go out there and play defense the right way, considering now that we have, you know, better guys on offense, I just think that, you know, he was, he was asked to do a little too much on offense, but um, you know, and then, you know, I, I have no idea what a guy like Christian Woods going to go for or Marvin Williams. You know, Marvin Williams, yeah, he's 34. But um, but another guy that, that I think, you know, could be a decent plug-and-play guy. Yeah. Um, I think my ideal option, you know, if money wasn't if, if money wasn't part of the equation would be Serge Ibaka. Yeah. Um, just because he's played in a – he's played for one of the – I think, in my opinion, the best defensive coach in the NBA and Nick Nurse. Um and, you know, I think it would be a great guy to, to get in there to vent, to mentor Jared Vanderbilt. Because when Serge Ibaka came in the league, he couldn't shoot at all. And I think it, it really took him three or four years of playing full time before he started to shoot. And instead, he just murked people on defense and, and, and was really good around the rim and was a, t- a tremendous rebounder, which I think, you know, check, check, check for um, – for Jared Vanderbilt. Yeah. Um, and you know, he, he got paid $21 million or I think it was 21 seven, um, this year in, in Toronto. And, and I don't see him getting, you know, 21 seven next year, but if you were able to use, you know, the full MLE plus a little bit of cap space on Serge Ibaka, um, I would, I would a hundred thousand percent go do that. Uh, I think, uh, I think the Barker, again, it, it would be to, an it, absolute it, perfect fit. I'm not sure how realistic it is that they actually get him, but I think. Oh, it's not realistic yeah, at I all. Think I there's don't a, think but, there's not a guy out there that probably fits the mold better than a Barker, especially because he'd be the adult. He'd be the adult in the room. He'd be a perfect veteran leader for this team. He's obviously just come off a championship run. He's um he's a re- he's reinvented himself so well. A Barker, he went from just that shot blocking. You know, ring, ring dynamite to to three point shooting. He he hits mid range shots at a really high rate, and he still blocks enough shots. He still plays really solid team defense. 
I think, like you said, if there was a guy that you could reach for unrealistically that's still kind of realistic if they had the money, it would be him. I think a dude who you, who's at the top of my list who is completely unrealistic, and I know a lot of people agree with this, is Jonathan Isaac. I think he, he Isaac would just be the perfect fit next fun. to Towns. He was so good defensive this year. It's if you if you haven't watched yeah, go and watch some I, Jonathan Isaac full games from the start of the season, or everyone listening, I think he's the, awesome. I think too if if he struggles offensively early on next year, I would not be surprised if if his value goes down a little bit. If he's not able to shoot shoot it as well next year, if his value goes down a little bit, if there's just going to be vultures waiting in the wings for him, yeah, there, there's uh, a decision needs to be made in Orlando on there their power forward situation. Aaron Gordon's not a small forward. Uh, either either is Isaac, and there's also Mo Bamba there as well, and Vucevic. So they're trying to fit, you know, they're trying to give starters minutes to four players right now, all in the same two positions. And and and, and Cam Birch, too. Yeah. He's a big, big so body think, four there, too. So it's tough. There's definitely decisions that need to be made there. I think that's why so many people... Uh, in on Aaron Gordon or who are, you know, kind of projecting Aaron Gordon to be moved somewhere and potentially Minnesota because he seems to be the odd man out as Isaac's a little bit younger and probably a better help to a really good team. Yeah, I'm kind of off the Aaron Gordon train for for a lot of reasons. Um, I, I don't think he'd be a good fit in the locker room whatsoever, and I think that that's something that's really important considering um, – you know, I think that he and Cat would would clash quite a bit. Yeah. And you know, I, I don't know. I I'm for and I think he's overpaid. Um, definitely. So I I would not be willing. I wouldn't be willing to handicap the team financially for Aaron Gordon. Um, and he thinks he's a way better three point shooter than he is too, which is unfortunate. But, um, but but yeah, if you, if you wanted me to to give you realistic options, um, you know the the guys that I I'd really think long and hard about are Harry Giles. Uh, Harry Giles to Michael Green, and then you know someone like maybe down down near the bottom of of guys that are going to be available, like you know a Marvin Williams, or yeah. you know, and then and then you start to get into get into guys in the draft and Jared Vanderbilt. So um, so you know I think they've got a lot of options available to them, um, but but again I think it's just about maximizing value, especially you know if you're a team that's that isn't completely cap strapped, but you know, I wouldn't say it's a team that, that has a lot of financial flexibility. And I think considering the fact that, you know, Rosas has kind of played this long game all along of the summer of 2021. We know that that next summer or fall now, hopefully if, if that's how it's going to work that, you know, that that free agency classes is going to be loaded. Um, And, and you know, there's a couple, there's a couple things that I think that they need to think about too, this offseason as it relates to the power forward position, is the power forward for the Timberwolves is not going to be asked to do a whole lot, in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. Relative to re- relative to other positions, and and the Timberwolves have two guys on the team right now that are older than 25. They have. Well, Jake Lehman's 25, but then you have Evan Turner, who's going to be gone, who's 30, and then you have James Johnson, who's 32. So realistically, James Johnson has been playing on a team with a bunch of dudes that were 7, 8, 9, 10 years younger than him and just looks like he's having a ball doing it. Um, and, and, and like the NBA is not 2K. It is not my GM in, in 2K where, 
you can just get a bunch of dudes that are 23 and 25 and put them together and that it'll all work. I understand Rosas's timeline, but I also think that, that it's not really addressing the elephant in the room of how many adults are on this team. Yeah. Like you still have Carl who does, you know, I, I love Carl to death and I think he's an awesome dude, but I think sometimes he can be a little too emotional on the court and it can kind of spill into other things. It can last for three and four possessions at a time. Um, and, you know, I think that having a steady, steady hand like D'Lo there and, you know, his best friend in the world, I think is going to help him a bunch. But, you know, everybody else, like guys that are coming into the league, like, sure, you can look up to a guy like Jake Lehman, who's 25. But I still think that, you know, this team really lacks playoff experience and, and playoff experience from guys that have actually legitimately played semi big minutes in the playoffs. I think James Johnson is really the only guy. I mean, and D'Lo, too. D'Lo played in the series last year, but but they've really got to start looking at at trying to get a four who does what they're looking for, but can also be an adult in the room um, considering because they have, you know, they have good options coming up because they're probably going to draft one. Plus you have Vanderbilt. So I, I think your biggest need for a four is all those things you listed earlier with the versatility and, you know, and the switchability, um, but also, but also a mentorship aspect. I think that that's something that, that James Johnson has been awesome this year with Um and it, and it's something that, that I really hope they can they can find too because I think that that's also a need, and I think that it's probably important that that guy isn't you know a star. And I think that the four is kind of that perfect sweet spot where they'll play important minutes, so they'll be out there with those guys, but they're also not going to be asked to do all that much to a point where um, they'll really be able to focus a lot of their energy on you know, on working with guys and yeah. mentorship yeah, too off the floor, they just, which I, I think, which I think just, is a huge part. I think they need to be just gap fillers almost on the court. They need to do the things that, that Towns and Russell don't do well. They don't need a star per se, but they need a star in that role, I think, for them to be a really good team. 100%. Obviously, we all know Robert Covington is literally the perfect player to be playing there right now, but obviously to get Beasley, who who's on the same timeline as as Russell and Towns, and to get the pick, you have to give up Covington. It made sense. I still think it makes sense. But that's the kind of player you need where he's just a uh, uh, gritty, do what you need, n- don't let the ego get in the way kind of player at the four. And, and like you said, I don't think it needs to be on that quote-unquote timeline. I think your timeline is for the guys who you want to play for your team for the next 10 years, say. Apart from that, right. I think you need to, you just fill it with players who help you win. Now you can always go and find, you know, another James Johnson in in two or three years if you have to, or develop, you know what I mean. You don't you you don't need to have every player on your team be twenty four years old. Some players need to be twenty. One hundred percent. Some players need to be twenty nine, and like you said, have that playoff experience. Other players need to be even younger and watch guys who are you know twenty four and see where they are, where they can get in five years. So I think there needs to be a mix of all of it. There needs to be that adult in the room and there needs to be, uh, yeah, versatility in age and mentality and leadership styles. I think all of that is how you make a really good locker room and a really good team on the court as well. 
A hundred percent. And you know, the example that I kind of look to is like the original version of the Warriors, the 2014, 15 Warriors, you know, that team, sure. Your core was Steph, Draymond, Clay and Harrison Barnes, all guys that were, you know, 20 in the, to the 20 to 25 or 26 range. But then on the bench, you had guys like David West or David Lee. I don't know if David Lee, but, but still like David West, David Lee, Sean Livingston, Leandro Barbosa, all those guys that are, you know, veteran guys that, can come in, you know, you know that they're going to play the right way, the way you need them to. But then they also showed that, you know, they could cycle those guys out like Barbosa retired, David Lee retired, David West retired. Um, and they brought in these new guys with the new wave warriors um, on the bench that worked well. That just, like you said, were stars in their roles, which I think was, which, which is crucial too. That is, if you're going to have guys in a playoff team, you have to understand that one series, they might play more than they, than they did in the last. And that's where, like you said, just being a star in your role is so, so important. And if you are going to be a really good team, by the time that those younger core players, so your, your Towns and your Russells and your Beasleys in Minnesota case, um, by the time they're 28 and you know yeah the older guys that you brought in to help them uh are out of the league and and doing whatever then towns and russell and beasley are the veterans so they don't need you don't need you know 32 year olds as much when towns and beasley and russell get to 28 themselves but you need those guys there now to help them transition and to to be the the calm head and and the leader you need them now to yeah to help that transition into veteran leadership by your young core. Yeah, I I think too that you know having kind of that bridge if that makes sense is really important and that if you're not able to have, you know, those bridge guys that are able to make it work and then can move on and that you can kind of fill and rotate new pieces in there um you know, having those guys are going to be crucial, like you said. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think that, again, it kind of comes back to the value game. All those guys that Golden State had were, were great value pieces. And I think that, you know, those guys probably knew what they were getting into in the sense that they knew they were going to play for a winner. And, um, and, and so, you know, they were probably more willing to play on a more team-friendly deal. But um, I think for, for a team like Minnesota, um, you know, that probably isn't going to attract guys like that. It's going to be important to sell them on, you know, what they have going. And, and if you have to pay a guy, you know, three or $4 million instead of veterans minimum, you know, I think that's okay. As long as you have the right, the right guy there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's something that kind of remains to be seen and, and it will be kind of interesting to see how, see how Rosas, you know, goes about doing that. Um, just because I hope he doesn't expect that, you know, a team full of 25 and 26-year-olds is going to be really successful in the playoffs. Yeah, and I think we got off topic a bit with, with Wancho, but it all comes back to that we don't think that he's really that guy that fits in that mold. He's not the veteran leader. He's not the defensive presence. He can shoot, but we don't need shooters as much anymore. So I think that all ties into that. And at the end of the day, I think Wancho, I think there's a place for Wancho in the league. I definitely don't think he's a guy who who should be, you know, in, in Europe or in, in Australia even. You know, he's definitely an NBA player. I think there's a place on the team for him, especially if he can keep up that hot shooting. And I think he'll definitely get a contract this year because of the way that he shot with Minnesota on, on pretty high volume and, and decent efficiency as well. So overall, I just don't think that he's, um, he's the best guy for Minnesota. 
he's still a good, decent player, but but we need um we need players who fit around Towns and Russell. That's what this team needs, and that's what I think Rosas will go for. I I agree. I don't think Rosas is naive enough to to think that Lancho is the be all and end all. But if you can get him back on on you know three years, twelve million, I don't I don't think I'll be angry at that. And if he's playing fifteen minutes a game, I still think he can add value as a shooter. But he's not he's not the starter. That's for sure. Right, and, and and the other thing too is if you get a guy at four million dollars a year, um, you know there's there's still a, a really easy case to be made for you know having that guy used as a throw-in piece, um, yeah, in, in any trade that you had, it wouldn't be hard to, you know, let yourself out of that out of that contract situation, um, it, it would be it would be a relatively easy fix there. So so like you said, like if it's a if it's a short contract, you know, I'd love to see him back just for you know the eighty-two game aspect. Um, but, but I, I would not go, I would not go any more than, you know, three for 12 really, um, would, would kind of be my number, um, for, for bringing him back. I think we're in agreement there, but, um, we're at about an hour and 10 minutes now. So I think we've, we've done all right on Mancho today. Um, I really appreciate you coming on, man. I, you, it was a great conversation and I think it'll be not the last time you come on for sure. So I'd love to have you back at some stage, especially when basketball ramps up a little bit and we can actually get some, some in-game kind of topics to talk about and stuff. Yeah, I'd love to, man. It was a great time. And, uh, and I, I hope everything uh, continues to get better for, for you guys down there in Australia and, you know, that everybody, everybody in your family, uh, your, yourself included stays healthy and, and uh, insane during uh, during all this and uh, and hopefully soon uh, we'll, we'll have some more basketball to talk about thanks man I appreciate you too and just for all the listeners we're we're officially on Spotify now and and Apple and every other platform that you get your, your podcasts on so go and subscribe there leave a rating write a review whatever floats your boat just the listens uh, are really appreciated so thanks everyone for listening and i'll see you guys next week